Hi everybody, welcome to the theory of the postdoc evolution, the podcast of the postdoctoral development center from Queen's University Belfast. My name is Alice Dubois and I'm the head of the postdoctoral development center. The aim of this podcast is to help postdoc with their career planning, notably by showcasing multiple career paths, which is what we are going to do today. Today is our first ever podcast, so please bear with me. And uh, we will be looking at careers in scientific publishing with two very special guests. Tasha Melins-Cohen, who is Director of Publishing for the Microbiology Society, and Helena Marshall, who is a postdoc here at Queen's and a junior editor for Access Microbiology. So Tasha and Helena, welcome and thank you very much for joining me this morning. Thank you for inviting me. Welcome. So we are going to start by discussing Tasha's career, then we'll move on to Elena's experience. And at the end, we could take advantage of having uh, a scientific publishing expert to get some insight on the challenge faced, that, uh, faced by that industry uh, on research topics like peer review or open access, for example. Tasha, starting with you, you've got a background in biomedical sciences, biochemistry and bioinformatics, and you've built a career for yourself in scientific publishing in a variety of roles like editor, head of publishing, or now director of publishing. And you've had different employers like Ashley Publications, the Royal Society of Medicine Press, Professional Engineering Publishing, Biomed Central, or now the Microbiology Society. So. First, can you tell us a bit about your role now as Director of Publishing and what are you doing basically during your day? What do I do during my day? Well, like most people, a lot of admin. Uh, as Director of Publishing, I have oversight of all of the publishing activities at the Microbiology Society, spanning editorial operations, the sales aspect, obviously, and technology. I have a fantastic team underneath me who cover most of those areas brilliantly well. Um, my background is specifically in operations and technology, so I tend to focus much more on the technology side of our operations. It's something that um, the rest of my team is slightly less experienced in. Obviously, the Society have six journals. Um, Helena is one of our editor mentees for the newest of those journals, which is Access Microbiology. Um, so there's a lot of work that goes into developing and growing those journals to better serve the microbiology community. One of the amazing things about working for a society like the Microbiology Society is that as well as publishing, we have professional development activities, we have events, we have policy work, and the publishing operations that we do interact very closely with those other teams. So for example, um, recently we had the microbiome report, which was led by the policy team, but we then collaborated with the policy team and with the British Society for Immunology to produce a special collection of all of our microbiome content. That's the kind of thing that I would get involved with because it's so cross-cutting. Okay, brilliant. Um, so what is it in your job that you would like the most? There are two answers to that question. There's the extremely geeky answer, which is I love the fact that I get to do a little bit of programming for our data analysis, um, which is not something I've done much of since I finished uh, in bioinformatics. But actually, the best bit is getting to interact with our members and our editors and, and specifically the people who are engaged with our journals on a day-to-day -day basis and learn more about what they need and how we can better serve that community of microbiologists. And that covers everything from 
bacteriology, virology, through to protistology and, and you know, archaea work. Okay, so I imagine you're learning every day then about oh, these yeah. topics. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, I could just about spell E. coli when I started. <laughs> I think I've, um, I've come a long way in the last 18 months. Brilliant. But then I guess there's, like every job, it's never perfect. What for you would be the most challenging part in that, in that specific role? Uh, I can see Helena laughing. Um, there is uh, a huge amount of challenge around the policy aspect of publishing. So you may or may not have heard about this thing called Plan S, which is a recent announcement from the European Commission and uh, I think around 15 national funding bodies plus the Wellcome Trust and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation uh, that is mandating some significant changes to our business model over a very short space of time. Um, the concept behind Plan S in and of itself isn't challenging, but the lack of clarity and the short time frames are um, causing a few sleepless nights. Yeah, so I guess that's something maybe at the end of the podcast we can go back a bit. Absolutely. Because it's related to open access. Uh, exactly. So then, um, can you tell us a little bit about your career until now and how did you get there? Uh, <laughs> um, people sometimes ask me about my career path. I would say I have a career meander. Um, after I finished my undergraduate degree, I knew I wanted to go on and do a PhD. Uh, I was accepted into a position um, which was a slightly odd structure that was one year of a master's followed by immediately progressing on to a PhD. So I took a job with a company called Ashley Publications as a production editor, uh, which involved a lot of hand coding XML very dull unless you're me I love it um, did that for a year to pay off some debts and build up some money and then I went off to do what was going to be my PhD uh, I very quickly realized that I was an awful lot better at publishing than I was at programming so I took the master's in bioinformatics and then ran back to the publishing industry as fast as I could um, I was very lucky to obtain a role with the Royal Society of Medicine Press as a production editor. And I learned a lot, a huge amount, about the day-to-day -day operations of peer review and production, so the backbone of publishing um, from the publisher at the time. I offered, volunteered, you may choose to say, to learn how to do various other things around the RSM business, including the budgeting, um, and I was asked, because of my background in bioinformatics, to lead several technology projects. Um, I later came to realise that I was vastly inexperienced to be leading those projects, but I did it anyway. And that has really put me in a fantastic position to progress quite rapidly through the ranks of the industry. Um, my top tip, I would say, for anybody looking to progress in any career is don't be afraid to volunteer. If there is a project to be run, if there is something to be done, put your hand up, take the experience, and you'll find yourself in a better position down the line. Um, yeah, I definitely <laughs> would concur with that. I think I wouldn't be here in my current role without having volunteering before. And I guess uh, we'll, we'll chat a bit later with Elena about that. But I imagine that's also the way you would feel yeah, 100%, with that 100%. role. Um, okay, brilliant. So in terms of... 
uh, your career, you've held several different types of pollution mm -hmm. in, uh, positions in the world of publishing. So you probably have a good view of the types of jobs and careers available mm -hmm. in, in that sector. Could you tell us a bit more about that for a postdoc who may not want to be director of publishing, but may find another interest in Absolutely. In I'm going to start with editorial because the editorial roles are probably the most directly relevant to people with scientific backgrounds. And mostly what you will find in editorial spaces are journal development type roles or managing editor, they're sometimes called. Yeah, you name it. We have a million different job titles all covering the same thing. If a role is talking about the editorial team, it's likely to be covering this aspect. And uh, a journal development editor or managing editor will be creating growth plans, journal development plans for the journals for which they're responsible. Um, at the Microbiology Society, our managing editors look after three journals each. Um, this would cover things like how to attract new submissions. So running submissions campaigns, but also commissioning. So this is identifying hot topics, topics of interest, things that are maybe not covered very well in other journals and going out to researchers active in those areas and looking for them to write for the journal. That could be methods papers, fantastically well cited. If you've got a good methods paper, I would encourage you to submit it for publication. Um, it could be full research papers, reviews, you name it, commissioning covers the lot. Um, Managing editors also spend an awful lot of their time working with editorial boards. So that's the editors in chief, all the other flavors of editor that you might find on a journal and helping them in their day to day work for the journal. So again, this might be commissioning, but it could also be uh, providing some backup on peer review, handling ethical problems which come up. And you would be astonished how many ethical problems come up at publication, which, in my opinion, really should be caught before submission. But There we go. One of the other key fa facets uh, of a managing editor job is scouting for opportunities to launch new journals. So um, at various points over my career, I've been involved in developing business cases for completely new uh, starts. Access Microbiology is the latest example. And it's a really, really interesting part of the, the publishing world because Typically, you would think about looking for a very small niche and trying to grow it to support the journal. But sometimes you can look at something a lot broader and create uh, a new vehicle to fulfill a, a need that's simply going unmet. So that's editorial. You then have operations. And this is a fantastic suite of roles for people who are a bit um, obsessed with process and procedure. Um, it's very, very detail-oriented. So it is the day-to-day -day workflows of how you get peer review done in the single most efficient way you possibly can. How do you get articles from acceptance to publication as quickly as you can without error? Um, so you know, my head of operations has done a fantastic job with that. So when he started, we were looking at an average of 40 days from acceptance to publication, and we're now down to about 12 which is a huge improvement in a very quick space of time. Um, technology often falls into the operations sphere. Um, so running platforms and keeping abreast of latest technical changes in the industry, that's where my, my heart lies. Uh, I can't help it. Um, 
And of course, then there's the sales aspect. So this is dealing primarily with libraries who are generally the the groups who will purchase a subscription or who will set up open access funds uh, with a publisher. But commercial can also cover things like advertising, selling spaces for sponsored supplements. Um, There's huge ethical issues around that and making sure that you've not sold, for example, to a pharma company not generally considered a good idea. Um, but there's there's quite a lot of scope within commercial uh, beyond just a, a simple sales role. Okay, thank you. And so, based on your experience and the people you've worked with, what do you think are the key, maybe the key skills or, or mindset that, that would predispose a person to do well in, in the world of publishing? Um, you have to be, you have to balance a really good set of people skills with an ability to just shut off the world and get stuff done. Um, Whatever role you hold within a publishing organisation, you are going to be speaking to authors, reviewers, editors, academics generally, all day, every day. So you have to be able to deliver a level of customer service without... um, annoying your customers but also you know these these are academics we hugely appreciate the amount of work that academics do um, not just in authoring but you know reviewers review for free okay we give them a discount on article processing charges but broadly they're reviewing for free editors even more so they put hours and hours of time into our journals so we've got to think beyond just the baseline of customer service and really try to to show our appreciation and give something back at the same time there is always an awful lot to do so being able to shut off your emails switch off the phone send it to voicemail whatever and just focus for an extended period of time to clear the decks and get a lot of things done is really valuable um Probably the third one is resilience. You know, things come at you from all sides, as I'm sure they do in academia, and you've just got to be able to step up and deal with whatever comes. Okay. And so based on that, what would be your your tips to someone who, who was willing to pursue this, this career? Start by talking to somebody who's already in it. Um, I'm more than happy for anyone who hears this podcast to get in touch with me. I'm fairly easy to find on LinkedIn or on the Microbiology Society website. Um, I'm not going to pull the wool over your eyes. It is not a well-paid career, um, but it is hugely, hugely rewarding. Um, Speak to anybody who you know in the publishing industry and get their insider tips. That's part one. Um, Part two is maybe have a trial run. Um, Many publishers, ourselves included, offer internships. Um, We offer paid internships because that's the right thing to do. Um, And most other publishers will have a similar thing going for postdoctoral students in particular who might want to test out the editorial aspects of of publishing or any other aspect of publishing. Take opportunities when they come. Um, If you look at my career it really is a career meander and partly that's because I've taken opportunities as they have arisen which maybe I wouldn't have done if I had a specific goal in mind so for example when I went to professional engineering publishing um, that was as as a maternity cover I had never intended to, to do a mat cover role I thought I wanted something more stable but actually this came up it was a fantastic opportunity I had a great time doing it 
and you know I I went from there to a much much bigger job at Biomed Central because I had put the final polish to my career before I was able to take that step. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And so we've been talking about volunteering, putting yourself forward and taking opportunities. I guess, Elena, it's what you've done. Yep, I'd definitely say so. <laughs> so, um, so just a little bit of background about yourself. This is your first postdoc yep. uh, at the moment. You're in the Center for Experimental Medicine oh, at yeah. Queen's University. Uh, so you work... Uh, in the in the microbiology field um, and so you became junior editor for the access microbiology which as Tasha mentioned is a journal of the microbiology society yep. earlier in the year mm -hmm. am I right yep. yeah so can you talk to us a bit about how you did come across this opportunity yep um, so I've been a part of the microbiology society now for almost 10 years so since the very beginning of my undergraduate I'd say and um, last year I was elected to be the publishing representative for the Early Career Microbiology Executive Committee. So the Microbiology Society is very focused on providing support for early career microbiologists. And one of those things is the, the setting up of this executive committee that is split into all the roles that the Microbiology Society undertakes, policy, professional development, committee, publishing, so on. So I represent all of those with regards to publishing. So I work quite closely with Tasha, the rest of the publishing team, and all the editors and chiefs for our uh, journals. When Access Microbiology was launched, um, Tasha had this great idea of setting it up in a way that you have these uh, senior editors or editor mentors and editor mentees or junior editors, where it gives uh, postdocs and junior uh, PIs the opportunity to take part in being an editor but having that support that if you're stuck or you're unsure you're linked with a senior editor that you can go back to and say here I, I've got this but I'm not sure what do you think this is what I think do you agree so it's a great introduction to publishing but with the support that you might need if you're unsure Yeah, okay. Sounds great. Mm. <laughs> so, but what do you actually do? I do exactly the same as every other editor. Um, so uh, the publishing team, when they receive a submission, um, they'll send it over to me. I will look over the submission and decide whether or not I think it's good enough to be sent for review. If I don't, then sadly we press the reject button and they have to send that on to somewhere else. And if I think it's good enough for review, then I have to find reviewers and ask them, please review this for me. If they say yes straight away, that's always a bonus. And if they don't, then I have to find somebody else. Um, once I have enough people to review and I receive my reviews back, I decide then the decision on that paper, whether it's accepted, major, minor revisions, and take the paper all the way through to either publication or, or sadly, another rejection. Okay, very good. Have you, how many uh, papers have you Uh, had at the moment. I think I um, I don't know about you Tasha do I have the, the biggest proportion at the moment I think you probably do just for clarity this journal only opened for submissions in September so it is really new um, we're hugely grateful about how much work Helena is taking on for <laughs> us um, but uh, I think yes you probably have more of the submissions than any of the other individual editors But that's totally fine by me. I think at this point in time, I actually got a new one yesterday as well. So I think I'm on about five or six in September. Um, 
but that's that's fine by me because that just means the journal's doing well. In fact, it's doing better than we even initially expected. Uh, you know, we had our projection of the number of submissions that we'd receive in the first three months, and I think we targeted it by what six weeks, something like that, something silly. Yeah. So, um, I've had a number, but for me, it's quite good, and I enjoy it because it allows me to give some other opportunities to other postdocs. So. Um, you know, quite often postdocs will review papers for their PIs and that will be in their PI's name. But I'm quite lucky that I can, if I think it's suitable, I can ask a postdoc to review in their own name um, and they can be maybe a third reviewer on top of the two more senior reviewers that we have. And it gives them the opportunity as well to, to learn how these things work. So I think access to microbiology as a whole is great both for the opportunity it gives me but the opportunities it means that I can then give other postdocs. Yeah so in terms of, of benefits uh, what benefits do you see for you for is that are you now considering a career in publishing or does it help you to network or even to write better papers yourself? Yeah I mean I think It does help the networking side of things. Um, the microbiology itself, and microbiology society itself, sorry, is very open for everybody. And I, I think I'd like to think that as a whole, all of our members are really super friendly. But it means that I have to interact a lot more with editors, reviewers, our editors in chief, but also the staff. So I spend quite a bit of time um, at the microbiology society headquarters. So it's not just the publishing staff that I know, but the professional development so on and so forth, that I have to work with. So I think networking is a great thing. Um, I guess it helps me get to know the way publishing works better. It also uh, pushes my time management skills and helps me uh, progress them further because um, it does. It, it can take time. Um, but yeah, I mean, potential career in publishing, who knows? It's uh, it's it leaves that option open for me if I decide that that's something to do. Even if it, if Tasha does shake her head at me for that one, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not shaking my head at you for that one. I was just thinking, I've always operated on the assumption that having an editorship on your CV as an academic is going to be helpful for, for example, looking for future roles. Mm -hmm. Have I been operating under a false assumption or is that a fair, fair no, point? No, I'd say so. But I think that also take, you have to take into account how the potential employee feels about that position. Mm. Uh, employer, sorry, feels about that position. Some of them might feel that if you're an academic and you want to do academic science, that these added roles might be a waste of my time or time away from the lab unnecessarily. Whereas other th others might feel that it is a great addition to my CV and, you know, career development, skills development. So I, I personally think it's a good thing, but I think it depends who you're applying for a job with. Yeah. I'd say it's a good thing too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> especially if you are trying to move towards a, yeah. a more autonomous uh, career. Absolutely. Independent later, uh, it shows leadership mm -hmm. to have been involved in activities like this. I would say you've been in charge of something. Yeah. It's a bit, it puts you aside from other maybe more uh, classic candidates. Uh -huh. So I would, Definitely encourage as long as you can still do yeah, your current job and properly. I, I think, although I'm labelled junior editor, I don't. I do everything by myself unless I feel I need help. Um, you know, I only interact with my editor mentor if I'm stuck or if I'm unsure. But generally, you know, I'm I'm left to do it by myself. And in times, some of the publishing team have asked me like 
we were unst we're unsure with this. Do you think that this was the right thing to do? And it, you know, it helps me think things through a bit more. Um, yeah, really pushes the skills. Yeah, and just to have a bit of an idea, if some postdocs out there feel like they're a bit interested, but are not sure, how, how long, how much time does it take you to to do that role? I think it depends on the number of papers that I have to work with at that time. So a couple of weeks ago, I think I had three that I was working with um, that I had to get reviewed. Um, thankfully, so far, I've not received any that I would press the reject button on. I think we've received so far is really decent work. Um, some of the papers are a lot quicker to push through and you know you can send it out to review and all the reviewers that you ask will come back immediately and say yep no bother um a couple of papers i've had where i've you know worked my way down the list of reviewers with rejection decline ig ignoring my request um but i would say when i have a couple of papers on the go it, it takes it does take a bit of time because you have to do it properly there's no point in being like oh yeah i'll just reject that because i don't have the time to work with it right now and you have to do the initial screening of the paper yourself. So you have to almost act like an initial reviewer of that paper and give it that time before you send it on to someone who's a little bit more experienced. So I'd say I probably spend a couple of hours a week when I have papers to to work with. Um, okay. Yeah, so, a couple of hours a week. So you can hear it, guys. It's manageable. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, it's totally manageable. <laughs> and, and I guess I would based on what you've been saying I think I know the answer for, for that but would you advise other postdocs to take on similar opportunities <laughs> yeah absolutely I mean this isn't like like I said this isn't the only thing that I have ongoing um although I'm the junior editor for this but I still have to work with my publishing role for the early career executive um I'm also our publishing uh, uh committee's equality diversity and inclusion representative so I have to do all the things to <laughs> involved with that. Um, and also all the other added things that I have with regards to being a postdoc at Queen's, the postdoc forum, postdoc faculty society, the CEM postdocs, all those things I think are great for me and um, the time pressures are on me and I just have to make that work myself. Okay, very good. Thank you. So it was great to learn about your experience and Tasha to learn about your career. But now maybe it's time to pick your brain a little bit about where you see the world of scientific publishing, uh, scientific publishing going. What are the challenges faced? And you mentioned a bit planners earlier. If you want to talk a bit about open access, maybe. <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, there's quite a few questions in there. Um, let's start with the future of publishing, mm -hmm. because that's quite nice and meaty. Um, as you probably know, uh, scientific publishing in its modern incarnation has really been around for more than 350 years um, since Oldenburg launched the transactions, sorry, I apologise, the proceedings of the Royal Society. And while there was some significant changes in the post-war period, I don't think over, over the history of publishing there has been as radical a change as digital. Um, I was very lucky. I came into the industry just as truly digital publishing was taking off. Um, while most publishers had been online since the mid-90s, um, it really only cracked on in, in the early part of the millennium. Um, there is a huge amount of new technology coming onto the market that will help with things like peer reviews. So um, there's a new piece of kit that, that's 
literally just been launched. I'm going to be testing it in the early part of next year, which pre-screens papers for um, fraud, for plagiarism, but also for signs of originality and the opportunities that it might offer. So it will then take this pre-screened manuscript and using machine learning skills, try to identify appropriate peer reviewers. But that should help to alleviate some of the burden on editors. Uh, Helena's spoken about how long it can take to find peer reviewers. Uh, having done that role myself, mm-hmm. um, my record was 42 declined reviewers <laughs> before I finally found two people who were willing to review this paper. So anything... Hit nine so far. <laughs> yeah, nine's not bad. Um, anything that we can do to, to alleviate the burden on editors in finding reviewers is great. Anything that we can do to make sure that... Um, reviewers themselves have an easier job because a lot of the areas of concern have been automatically flagged is also a, a benefit. Um, most modern journals uh, issue their content in full text XML so you can read it on screen in a browser um, but the side benefit of that is that it's data mineable and we're starting to see with things like Meta from the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative um, really intelligent data mining tools that will extract insights from huge data sets that we've previously not been able to do. You know, with the very best one in the world, uh, a human researcher cannot read the sheer volume of text that we are now putting out every year. Um, I think the, the latest assessment is that the number of articles per year has been growing at 4% year on year for the last decade. And prior to that, it was growing at about 3% per year. So, you know, we're more than doubling the sum of knowledge in under 20 years at this point. Um, the, the the huge amount of value that I see coming from that volume of content is in the ability to make it machine readable and to really extract information from it in that sense. Of course, to do that, kind of needs to be open access, which takes me on to your second question. Um I think open access is in, enormously important. I worked for Biomed Central, which was, um, and PLOS will tell you otherwise, but Biomed Central was founded before PLOS. It is the oldest open mm-hmm. access publisher for all that it only launched in 98. Um, it's a really valuable initiative. It's a really valuable concept. Um, but open access in and of itself doesn't solve a lot of the problems that we have with getting access to content. Access is not the same as accessibility. So I can go out and I can read a physics paper if it's open access. I'm not going to understand it. Um, So that presents us with a different challenge. Uh, If we can leverage technology properly to take a physics paper or any other paper in its full text format and turn that into a lay summary that individuals like me can understand, we're starting to see more benefits out of the science. And that is actually something that people are working on at the moment. I'm due to have a demo of that next week and it's super cool. Um, But this is where we start to see the, the challenge between open access and accessibility. Publishing doesn't happen for free. It is not just posting a PDF online because PDFs are not machine readable. Um, to make something that is full text, that's suitable for machine reading, that is preservable for the future, it's not quick, it's not cheap. We're working on both of those things. But open access in and of itself 
isn't a business model. And there has to be a business model or there won't be journals. So that's, as I said earlier, my biggest problem with Plan S. We don't know what to do to respond to this because they're they're um, saying that the business model that we've been running for the last 20 years is not acceptable. Um, so actually, as, as a bit of background to Plan S, um, this is, as I said, a European Commission initiative and they're calling for open access to research that is funded by Plan S signatories from the 1st of January 2020. Now, as far as I'm concerned, great idea. The slight problem is that they are putting a prohibition on what are known as hybrid journals. Now, that's about 85% of the journals that are out there, and that's those that have traditional subscription articles mixed in with individual open access articles paid for by article processing charges or APCs. If we can't publish in that format, in that hybrid format, we aren't quite clear on what we're supposed to do as a publisher. Um, it's very easy to say, just make everything paid for by APCs, um, but around about 80% of our authors don't have funding. So that's simply not viable for us. We want to make things open access. So as the society, Microbiology Society, we have a green open access policy that allows authors to deposit their accepted manuscript in an institutional repository or in Europe PubMed Central or PubMed Central on the day of publication. So that's great. We are open access from the day of publication without payment, except the author's accepted manuscripts are not machine readable. They are not going to be great for an accessibility perspective. So that is going to be an interesting challenge to overcome over the next few years. Okay. I think I've now confused myself. I do apologise if I've confused you <laughs> no. as our listeners. No, I'm sure it's been very clear for our readers. Um, I'm conscious of the time where uh, we're almost uh, at the time of the end of our podcast. But mm -hmm. before, do you have a bit of an insight of, about um, peer, the peer review process? There's been a few controversies lately about the fact that maybe the authors in their institution should be uh, anonymized or what's, what, where do you see yeah. that going? So there are lots of different flavors of peer review. The one you will probably be most familiar with is known as single blind, which is where the reviewer's identities are not made available to the author. Double blind is where the author's identities are hidden from the reviewers as well. The challenge with double-blind peer review is that depending on the size of any individual community, it's usually quite easy to work out who has written a paper. So you can take off identifying information to your heart's content. It's not necessarily going to keep the reviewers from knowing who has done what. If the question is about priority, I would suggest that actually the best way to deal with that is to put your article in a preprint repository like BioArchive before submitting to a journal. That gives you a priority claim over anyone who might come along later, regardless of whether they are published formally in a journal before you or not. If it's a question of bias um, and you feel that your paper is, is being unfairly rejected or unfairly criticised by a reviewer because of potentially an academic rivalry, the best thing to do is to speak to the editor about it. Um, my experience 
oddly has been that in single blind review, we tend to get a better quality of review comment. Whereas in double blind review, you often find uh, a two or three word, this will do or no, it's rubbish, rather than a properly considered um, reviewer report. Um, The name of an institution is an interesting one. Uh, I do on occasion feel that institutions such as Oxford maybe get a slightly easier ride from peer reviewers, but I think that's much less common now than it was when I came into the industry, uh, uh, sort of 2001. Um, There's a much greater level of awareness about the need to be unbiased in a reviewer report than there was in the past. Okay. Thank you very much. I think that brings us uh, to the end of this podcast. So Tasha and Elena, thank you very much again uh, for joining me. I think it was very insightful and I'm sure it's going to help a lot uh, our postdocs. Um, And I would like to thank also Stephen Millen, who's here. You didn't hear him, but he heard everything we said and he's been recording for us and will be editing. So thank you, Stephen. Uh, Really appreciate it. And um, so that's it for us. Uh, If you could please uh, provide us a bit of feedback or suggest topics or guests for future podcasts, you can do so on the PDC website. So to do that, uh, just Google uh, Queen's University Belfast and Postdoctoral Development Centre. In the resource section, you will find the podcasts page under online resources and there's uh, online forms there for you to suggest anything or ask questions for future guests. So this was uh, the theory of the postdoc evolution. Thank you for listening. Bye.